Well, good day, everyone. Dan here. Just recording a short 10-minute podcast about the things that we covered in Equip on Sunday. Uh, hoping this is helpful for those of you who couldn't make it. I know that there are a few of you. Uh, as well as those of you who just want to revisit the things that we did on Sunday. Uh, as we know, learning doesn't happen in a straight line. Uh, it tends to happen in sort of a loop-the-loop or maybe even a spiral uh, where we keep revisiting the things that we've learned. Uh, not only so they're fresh in our mind, um, but so that we can sort of work in the things that we've been reflecting on since we first heard something uh, and our learning can become more complete. So uh, what we looked at on Sunday was heresies in the early church. Uh, we looked at a definition of heresy. It's a tricky thing to define because um, we might want to say everything that's different to what we believe from the Bible is a heresy, but that's obviously not true. Uh, there are all sorts of things that are just differences of belief between Christians. Uh, some of them important differences of belief, some of them less so. Um, but a heresy is, is obviously bigger than that. It's not just a difference of belief. It's something that cuts at the core of what it is to be Christian. And so we sort of put together a, a definition that a belief that goes against biblical teaching as understood by most Christians or as taught by legitimate Christian authorities, is the definition of a, a heresy. Um, worth thinking that through a little bit more. Uh, how does that align with your definition of, of what might be a heresy, something that really goes against Christian belief? Uh, we looked at two examples of that in the early church. The first was docetism. Uh, docetism comes from a Greek word, dokeo, which means to seem. Something seems like something, but isn't really what it seems. Uh, and the, the belief here was that Jesus only seemed human. He wasn't really human. He just seemed human. He didn't really come in the flesh. And the reason for that is because of an assumption that matter is evil. The physical world is evil. And so, of course, Jesus, being God, couldn't come in the flesh, if that's true. Uh, that view gave rise to a sort of more fleshed out belief, pardon the pun, uh, Gnosticism. And this was particularly in the second century, so the 100s up through the 200s. Uh, comes from another Greek word, gnosis, meaning to know. Uh, we get our word recognize from that or acknowledge. Um, so gnosis, to know. Uh, and Gnosticism is all about achieving or, or finding secret spiritual knowledge. You'd have gurus and philosophers who are agnostic teachers trying to help people understand this secret mystery knowledge. There's a lot of variations amongst what dualism, uh, sorry, what Gnosticism is, um, but um, in, in sort of summary, there are a whole lot of things that these different variations have in common. Uh, the big one is dualism, which is much like Docetism. It's, it's a view that Matter is evil, but the spirit is good. And so in Gnosticism, the soul, which is the spirit and is good, is trapped inside the body, which is evil. Um, how do we get freedom? Well, by finding this secret mystery knowledge. And ultimately, Jesus came, uh, yes, as God, but more than anything, as a teacher. So not, not so much a savior to give his life for us, but a, a teacher to pass on this secret knowledge for us, to have our soul freed from the body. Um, there's a bunch of other things that are interesting about Gnosticism as well. You might remember from Sunday, if you were there, 
We looked at how there was a, a chain of gods. So it's not just the God of the Old Testament and uh, the God of the New Testament that we're introduced to. Um, in fact, that God supposedly is low down on the chain. He's actually sort of overpowered by other gods that go further up the chain. And right at the top of the chain is some, some really true mysterious God that it's almost impossible for us to know. Um, and unfortunately, the God that we do know is, uh, is powerful enough to have made everything, but too, like foolish enough to also have made everything, given that um, the everything we have around us is evil in Gnosticism. It's, it's, the matter is, is evil and, and disordered and chaotic and wrong. Uh, and so um, clearly, if this God in the Bible created everything, he can't be the true God. The true God wouldn't have made such a mistake. Um, we also looked a little bit at the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas. There are a few variations of the Gnostic Gospels. Um, just to, to give you one little sneak peek at that, um, Jesus said, apparently, according to the Gospel of Thomas, the father's kingdom is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. One of them, the largest, went astray. He left the 99 and looked for the one until he found it. And after he toiled, he said to the sheep, I love you more than the 99. You can hear there that uh, this almost sounds like the Gospel of Luke and the, the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, but there are some key differences. Um, he, the, the lost sheep is the largest, and uh, the shepherd goes and says, I love you more than the other 99. Uh, now, obviously, Thomas, the, the disciple, didn't write this. It was written probably in the 200s, um, and Thomas's name was just kind of thrown on the end of it. Um, but you can see a Gnostic influence in that, where uh, the largest sheep is the one that went astray. And, um, you know, the one that was the most special, if you want. And then when Jesus found it, it's almost he affirmed it for going astray because he loved it more than the other ones that were all staying put. It's almost like the, the one who is most full of knowledge is the one that Jesus loves the most. Uh, and that's the, the goal of Gnosticism, uh, to find this secret knowledge and then um, be freed from the trappings of the body, which perhaps the 99 other sheep represent. Now, the impact on the church of Gnosticism was fairly significant. Quite a number of Christians were swayed to believe things like what we've heard. Uh, there was a religious genius named Valentinus. He influenced heaps of people in Alexandria. Uh, and one of the things that made Gnostic ideas appear very attractive is that they fit with the cultural and religious climate of the day. Um, so it's coming out of Greek Platonic philosophy, uh, in which you try to look past the physical semblance of things to find true ideals that are very abstract. Um, similarly, with Gnosticism, you're trying to push past physical reality to get to some kind of secret spiritual reality. And so when these Gnostic ideas come out, people are going, oh, that, that sounds about right according to our culture. We've got to be very careful because we can do the same thing. There might be things in the Bible that, that almost sound right to us, but then when combined with a cultural point of view, we go, oh, yeah, no, the, the culture has, has really articulated what I believe better than what the Bible alone does. Um, we can do this in all sorts of ways, and it's worth reflecting on them. But another effect that Gnosticism had 
was that it prompted the church to think and clarify what we believe uh, in these areas of who created everything and um, are there many gods and is matter evil or is it good? And so it's worth thinking about how would you respond to those things from the Bible? What would you want to say about the identity of the creator? What would you want to say about the goodness or otherwise of the created universe? About Christ and his physical incarnation? About how we arrive at spiritual knowledge? Is it through secret mystery uh, things or is it through something else? Um, About what Jesus came to do and about uh, whether the body is going to actually live on forever or not. Uh, be worth you thinking through uh, what verses, what theological or biblical concepts would you go to to um, respond to the claims of Gnosticism in each of those areas. Now, the church responded by um, articulating a bunch of things in those areas, but what's really interesting is, is in the second century, you get this creed that's now called the Old Roman Creed. Uh, It was often recited as a a baptism affirmation. So just before someone was going to be baptized, they'd uh, speak something like this. And I'm just going to read it out. And you might hear um, some subtle refutations of Gnosticism and Docetism here. So this is what someone would say. Let's say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'm just going to read out a few phrases from that old Roman creed and think about how these might um, refute or or even just sort of show the misalignment between the Bible and Gnosticism or Docetism. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Interesting to consider how those refute the heresies of the day. There's a few thoughts for you. Um, I hope that this also raises some questions for you. Uh, If you have any of those, bring them along to Equip next week and we'll crack into a few if there are any before we start uh, looking at some uh, uh, some other old creeds and and the uh, contribution of councils towards refuting heresy as well. Looking forward to next week, guys. See you then.